0: Amen. Good evening. Ah. We're going to talk about the church alive tonight. Acts chapter 13. The church alive. Which again, I had to smile when Nicole was talking about God waking us up. Because that's exactly what we're going to talk about. That God wakes us up and we stay awake. By the way, speaking about the church alive, let me remind you all of October, since we're into it now. This coming Saturday, the men's conference here at the church. The 20th and 21st, the youth lock-in, big fall event. And this event is not as much for our teens as it is for our teens to have an opportunity to invite their friends to come and be a part of a real, like, exciting evening. And then the 21st is also baptism. If you'd like to be baptized... Please sign up online or back at the information table. And then the 28th is Trunk or Treat. And as I said last Sunday, on Sunday the 29th, Jenna Pearson is going to be with us in both services. One of our missionaries who's going to be sharing for a few moments at the end of both services, giving us an update about her ministry. Speaking about the church alive, let me say a few things before we get into Acts chapter 13 tonight. The church is us, right? Not the building. The building comes alive when the people of God are in it. But the building is not the church. We are the church. And the church is not just an organization. The church is an organism, a living organism. That's why every church, every local church in history goes through a life cycle just like we go through a life cycle. And I want to share that because obviously we're looking at the church being very much alive tonight. And I believe that the Oasis is alive as a church, but we need to be very careful, even 13 and a half years in, that we begin to sort of take what we have here and what God is doing for granted. Because as I have shared with you before, personally... There is no such thing in our spiritual life as getting to a place and, sort of, and st- sort of remaining status quo where we just sort of stay there. Spiritually speaking, we're either moving forward or we're moving backward. There is no such thing as just maintaining status quo. And the same thing is true for a church. A church is either moving forward and taking new ground and more ground for God as a church, as a body of believers, or we're moving backward. And every church that begins to become less and less alive and move backward is a church somewhere along the line in their history that adopts a maintenance mentality. Just like you and I can adopt a maintenance mentality. We're we're just sort of living our life trying to maintain everything. Folks, maintenance is going backwards. We're either moving forward or we're moving backward. And every church that ends up dying, and we know local churches die, that's biblical. They eventually go through a life cycle, not because God wants them to, but because somewhere along the line in their history, they choose to just maintain. Sort of, let's just maintain what we have, and let's just hold on till Jesus comes. They start to die. And you and I personally have to be aware of that and be careful of that in our lives, and as a church, we have to be careful of that. If we're not moving forward, we're moving backward. So tonight, when we come to Acts chapter thirteen, the hub of the church, the new entity that Jesus is building after his resurrection, is sort of moved from Jerusalem to antioch and what we're going to see in Acts chapter thirteen, and I'm really going to concentrate on the first thirteen or first three verses is how this church was so alive and some of the characteristics of it being alive that, that you and I can make sure are part of our church as well. The first thing I want us to see in this very alive church, in verse 1 it says there were prophets and teachers in the church. Now, I first, I want to get to this phrase, in the church, Because that's important, too. Jesus said, I will build my church. Therefore, the primary vehicle, the primary instrument that Jesus is working through and in today is the church. And it's sort of even sad that I have to emphasize that nowadays. But we have come to a place in our history, even as Christians, where people are substituting things outside the church for things in the church, and where even people in the church aren't really faithful to the church. We need to encourage each other to be faithful to the church. And listen, I realize I'm talking to a group of people who are even showing up on Wednesday. As a pastor, I'm thrilled with this. But our hub as a church is Sunday. And we need to encourage one another to be faithful to our hub, which is Sunday. And then everything flows out from that. And and when we see people coming week after week after week and God changing their lives, again, he's working in the church. And though there are great what we call parachurch organizations out there and ministries out there, and I'm not against those, but I'm simply saying as a Christian, you can't substitute being part of one of those and have that take the place of you being engaged and a faithful member and, and servant in the local church. There is no substitute for the church that has to be the hub of our lives as Christians and what we see happening here is that the spirit is at work in the church are we in the church and I don't mean just showing up but are we here are we faithful are we engaged Are we doing something? Are we playing some kind of role or part in it? We're gonna see that that's all part of a church being alive. The second thing I want you to note is the first phrase of verse one, prophets and teachers, which implies the fact that a church alive is one who has speakers who inspire, that's prophets, and speakers who instruct, that's teachers. Now, I'm not saying prophets can instruct and teachers can inspire, but I'm saying primarily that's what these words mean, and that's what those roles are, okay? You have speakers who can instruct, and you have speakers who can inspire. But what we're also looking for, obviously, is a group of people within a church that's hungry to hear and embrace the Word of God, and grow through the Word of God, and that's part of the characteristic of what makes a church alive. You've got teachers, and you've got prophets who are teaching the Word, and you've got people who are hearing the Word and responding to it. Notice also in this church that there was multicultural leadership And that there was a lot of diversity even at the leadership level. Uh, All these names are people that come from different cultures, different societies, different ways of doing things. And yet in this diversity, there was unity of purpose, you see. God celebrates diversity. God wants us to be a diverse group. But he wants us to experience the wonder of diversity with unity. And that's what makes a church alive, is when you can have all of this diversity existing and operating in unity. Notice verse 2 while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit had an environment where he was working and moving. Notice the phrase, while they were serving. Let's first talk about that. God isn't going to move upon people who are sitting and asking them to do something. God is going to look for people that are already doing something, not spectators, some type of participation, and take those who are already doing something and then going to clarify it and and maybe give them even more or a different responsibility. But it's while we're serving if you want to see God continue to work in your life individually and you want to be part of a church that's alive, we've all got to be playing our part and we've got to pick up and instead of being spectators, do some kind of service, some kind of ministry. It is an act of worship. And notice here the, also the phrase, while they were serving the Lord. Because ultimately... When you and I are serving, even in the church, we're primarily not using people to be our inspiration and our motivation. You may never get the appreciation, the attaboys and attagirls and the pat on the back and all of that that you deserve in your service. But we all need to adopt the mindset that everything that we do, we're actually offering it and doing it for our Lord. And then he can use us to bless our brothers and sisters in Christ through our service. But we're never to be serving people primarily, but serving the Lord. Also notice, they weren't just serving, they were fasting. They were a people that were disciplined. They they were a people that were so committed to God working in them spiritually that on a pretty consistent basis, they were setting aside the eating of a meal or two or maybe even going a a whole day because they wanted to to build into their self the idea that they could say no to the flesh and they, they could... Allow that time of fasting and, and prayer to be a time where they would concentrate and really focus on the spiritual. It fasting is not something that just automatically, you know, makes you closer to God, but it's that that training that we go through, that discipline of of reminding ourselves that we always are to prioritize the spiritual over the physical. And we've got to develop that discipline in our life as followers of God of saying no to the physical because the physical impulses, they will always be there. And we've got to learn to bring them under control and allow the spirit to be the primary driving force of our life. And notice then in verse 2, what what Luke is telling us is that this church who is alive, alive through the teaching of the Word and, and through those who want to hear the Word of God taught, And through serving and fasting and and prayer, and we already know from the book of Acts that they were a worshiping community because they were praising God also every day, that it was in this environment that the Holy Spirit spoke. Do you see that in verse 2? The Holy Spirit was speaking, and people were listening to what the Holy Spirit was saying. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me this team, this partnership. And notice also that that they are to be distinguished from all others. That's what the word set apart means. And again, like serving the Lord, notice the Holy Spirit says, set them apart for me. They're mine. They're my team. I have called them and I am putting them together as a ministry team, I know that they will work well together. They will complement each other. And so in this environment of a church being alive is also where people are being able to hear the voice and promptings and leading of the Holy Spirit in their life and responding in a positive way to it forming these dynamic partnerships, if you will, to the glory of God. And then the Holy Spirit goes on to say that this new team that I am forming, Barnabas and Saul, are going to do some work for me. Let's not miss that word, work. Ministry and serving the Lord is work and if we're not into work then we won't be very effective in ministry and service it takes commitment we've got to be conscientious uh, it takes effort it we've got to put ourselves into it and be willing to work at something, which also implies it's not always going to be easy. In fact, most of the times, it's not going to be easy. Work is not easy. But when we're doing what God has designed us to do. And then notice also in verse 2 what the Holy Spirit has called us to do. There's also nothing more fulfilling or satisfying for a human being to be part of than to be part of what the Holy Spirit of God is calling you to. And responding to that call. See, I, I believe in this season of our church, I believe the Holy Spirit is working. Are are we listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are we discerning his voice in our life? Are we responding to his call? I personally believe every Christian has a call upon their life. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, though, will not call us if we're just sitting. If, If he doesn't see any kind of effort or commitment on our part, to the church, to being faithful to the church, to being there to hear or to teach the word of God, to be serving in the church, to be fasting and praying and worshiping and praising. But when the Holy Spirit sees that we have, there's an investment, We we are investing ourselves in what Jesus is building. I guarantee you that is the soil, if you will, that the Holy Spirit really begins to plant the seeds and grow his people. That's why the church was so effective in the book of Acts because everything else now that takes place from verse 4 all the way to verse 52 is all based upon the foundation of the first three verses. Everything that takes place after this was built on what was going on in the church continually. And that's why you and I, if if we're saying, yeah, we're part of this church, are we? Are we a part of this church? Are we a part of a church that is alive? where we see and feel and know that God is working and moving and touching lives and transforming lives, where he's speaking to us and calling out people and and forming ministry teams and, and partnerships, and where we see him bringing in more and more diversity that God celebrates. I've told you, I think, several times, my dream would have been to have been the pastor of a local church where there would have been a representative from every nation on the earth in that church. I would have loved that. Uh, I'm not giving up on that. I'm just saying I, I would love that. That kind of diversity working together and coming together and not letting our Our cultural differences and all these things keep us from from coming together and uniting in the purpose of being a church that is alive and on fire for God. And just as Nicole prayed, God not only wants to wake us up, He wants to keep us awake. He wants to keep us alive in him and not allow us to go down that life cycle where eventually, like we do have to physically, where we start to decline and deteriorate and we start to, in a sense, die, if you will, rather than be alive. Every local church, just like every human life, goes through a life cycle. And eventually churches get to the point where they just adopt that maintenance mentality. God forbid that that ever happens here, but, you know, we're probably not going to be different than any other church for the last 2,000 years. Eventually, that's, that's why some of the most dynamic churches that were written to and written about in the Bible, if you go there today, they might have a building, but they're not alive. And you think about even those churches in Europe, You think about the church that Charles Haddon Spurgeon spoke in. Thousands of people flocked to him to hear him every Sunday in London. If you go there now, it's a museum more than it is a church. And that's the way a lot of churches are because they go through this life cycle where they're no longer growing and living, they're dying. God wants his people to always be alive. And out of that church that's alive, here comes two people. And it's not that God wasn't working in and through all these other people, but I think God was using Barnabas and Saul to say, look what I can do with just two. And if I can do that with just two people who are united to me and united to each other and united to their calling, then what can God do with all of us if we come together and start to live like that? So notice in verse 3, though, first of all, it says, after they had fasted and prayed the church, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now notice something here. The church did not set them apart. The church did not create this partnership. The church did not call them. That was all the Holy Spirit. All the church was doing was affirming what the Holy Spirit had done. In other words, the church just recognized this is what God wants. God wants this team, and God wants to send them out, you see. And that's still true today. We don't play the Holy Spirit trying to call people and set them apart and do all that. That's the Holy Spirit's work. But here's what we can do just as they did, we can recognize when God is part of something. We can recognize and affirm when God is in something, and we can say, yep, we're affirming that because we can see that God's fingerprints are all over them or all over that, and that's what the church was doing here. So notice verse 4. Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. I want to come back to these words, sent out. Listen, God may not call any of us, like Barnabas and Saul, to go be a missionary in another country, okay? But the words sent out here, I think, do apply to all of us in this sense. The words, in essence, mean to spread or to stretch. And God wants us as the oasis to do that. He wants us to spread out and to stretch ourselves out so that the knowledge of our God and our influence as God's people can go further and further and further. And and that's why even we support the people that we do and the ministries that we do and the churches that we do in all different parts of the world. How does God want you to stretch yourself out, to spread out, to, to, so that he can, can even use you in, in new avenues and in new ways. These are things that all of us have to pray about and consider and ponder how the Holy Spirit wants to expand, if you will, our territories and our ministries. And notice when they arrived in this new place, verse 5, they just began to proclaim the word of God, but they were doing it in Jewish synagogues, not easy places. Tough assignment. I'm going to take, because that was God's plan, let's take the word to the Jew first. If they reject it, they reject it, which many did, but some accept it. They were simply... Trusting the power of the word of God. And notice that there was someone that the Holy Spirit had prepared ahead of time, verse 7, whose name was Sergius Paulus. And he wanted, verse 7, to hear the word of God. There again, you see God working on both ends. Because when God is in something, that's what he does. Here he was laying it on the hearts of Barnabas and Saul to go to this particular place because he knew once they got there that they had a passion to teach and preach the word of God. And here was this guy named Sergius Paulus. He certainly wanted to hear the word of God and God brought them together. But every time the church begins to take new ground and take more ground for the kingdom... They were going to experience opposition, and that's exactly what happened here in verse 8. There was this magician who was was a false prophet, verse 6, whose name was Bar-Jesus, and he opposed them, trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That's the way the devil works. Whenever you and I are making advances... We're going to face opposition. We cannot allow, as the church in Acts did, we cannot allow opposition to discourage us or to deter us from our mission. We must stay with it in spite of the opposition. Notice Saul filled verse 9 with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at this guy, and he gave him the what for. He basically said, you are not going to stand in the way of the Lord. Move aside. Now, I want to go back to this phrase, filled with the Spirit, because we've already seen how prominent the Holy Spirit here is in this church. I mean, the Holy Spirit is speaking. He's setting people apart. He's working. He's sending people out, verse 4. And here in verse 9, he's filling And by the way, the word filled means to have been supplied and furnished sufficiently by God. You and I have to remember that. If you and I are a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives within us, then we have been very sufficiently supplied and furnished with every, and I'll say it this way, every one that we need. Because out of that one person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, we can have everything that we need. The Holy Spirit gives us every resource, every supply, every every bit of everything that we will ever need to serve the Lord and to fulfill our calling and our purpose in life will come through the Holy Spirit. So appropriate that we sang right before the message, by your Spirit, Because that's exactly what we're seeing happening here in the church that is alive. And notice something incredible here. That after Paul basically tells this guy to get out of the way, verse 11 says, the hand of the Lord blinded him. He was unable to see for a time. This mistiness and darkness came over him and he went around seeking people to lead him By the hand. When the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, saw what had happened, he believed. But then don't miss the last phrase of verse 12. Because he was greatly astounded at the teaching about the Lord. Now you would think after this guy saw this confrontation between this magician and Paul, and where Paul's calling him out, and basically telling him, get out of my way. We're doing the work of God here. And basically the Lord strikes him blind, and there's this mistiness around him that people can see. And all of a sudden this guy that can't see, or that could see, now can't see. You would think that that's what greatly astounds him, right? No. What greatly astounded this proconsul was the teaching about the Lord. That's what amazed him. That's what astonished him. That's what shook him to the core, was where he heard about a God who loved him, where he heard about a God of grace who's offering him salvation, a relationship with him through nothing that he could ever do to earn it. It is a free gift. This astounded him, this amazed him. First of all, that God, if there is one there, would care about him at all, enough to not only care about him, but love him enough to die for him, to give up his life for him, and to be able to offer him this wonderful, eternal life, this gift, and it costs him nothing. He wasn't astounded or amazed by the man going blind for a time. He was astounded and amazed by the message of God's grace. And may you and I always be amazed and astounded at the message of God's grace. For the rest of the chapter, all we see really is Paul then proclaiming, applying, and warning through a message. In fact, when they get to the synagogue in verse 15... They're asked, brothers, do you have a message of exhortation, encouragement to inspire and help us? And Paul stood up and began to preach. And he he basically gave them a history lesson. And it was a lesson, though, centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 23. God brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, just as he promised, because God fulfills his promises. He talks about Jesus. Notice verse 32. And we proclaim to you the good news about the promise to our ancestors that this promise God has fulfilled to us and our children by raising Jesus from the dead. He talks about Jesus being raised from the dead again in verse 34. He is giving them the gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried That he rose the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by hundreds of people after his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, the first three verses. This is the gospel message in a nutshell. But Paul doesn't leave it that way. Notice in verse 38, Paul's application after the proclamation. Therefore, what's therefore, therefore? He's saying now you got to do something with Jesus. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this one, who's this one? Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by this one, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from everything with which the law of Moses could not justify you. couple things. First of all, notice the word everyone. Salvation is offered to every human being. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And notice something else, though, Paul's emphasizing. You can't earn your salvation. You can't work for it. The law of Moses can justify nobody. So the final part of Paul's message is a warning, verse 40. Watch out, then, that what was spoken by the prophets does not happen to you. And basically what it is is do not scoff at the message of God's grace. Do not think you can earn your way to heaven. Do not think you can be a good enough person. That's the whole reason why Jesus has come. Our salvation is in Him, and everything that we will ever want is found in Him forgiveness of sins, eternal life, peace, love, joy. It's all there, it's found in a personal relationship with Jesus well the same thing happened to Paul and Barnabas that happens to all of us there were two different responses to this message to some they wanted to hear more and they began to follow and they began to believe but others were opposing it and saying they don't want anything else to do in fact they literally stirred up verse 50 Persecution against Paul and Barnabas and threw them out of the region. Because again, when God is working, Satan is also working. Our spiritual enemy is working. They were opposed when they got there with this magician, and now persecution is coming at them again. You and I should expect that. That's part of God's plan for the church. But what he wants his people to do is to be committed enough to him and to our calling that we continue to do what God is asking us to do in spite of the opposition, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the challenges. And notice their response, verse 51, Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet. That was a way of disassociating themselves from their persecutors. In a sense, it was also a way of saying, We're not responsible for them rejecting the gospel. Just like I've said to you, we're not responsible for people's response. All we are responsible before God to do is to be faithful to what God has called us to. If no one responds, God will never hold us responsible for that. We just need to shake the dust off and keep on going. And that's exactly what they did. The final verse of the chapter is, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And why does Luke link joy with the Holy Spirit? Well, for one thing, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, all Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. If you and I are filled with the Spirit, one of the predominant things that people will be able to see in our life continually is God's joy. And what is joy? Joy is simply being grateful for the grace of God grateful for grace, to have a a gratitude to God that everything we have now as the people of God, we didn't deserve it. We got everything for nothing and deserved none of it. That's grace. And may we never get over the grace of God. I want to share something. I want to go back for just a moment in closing to that verse 12 where the proconsul saw what had happened and believed and then was greatly astounded at the teaching about the Lord. As God's people, we should always be affected down to our core by the person and presence of God. And let me illustrate that for just a minute. Do you remember how you felt the first time you stood by the ocean? Do you remember the first time you might have really considered as you looked up into the night sky on a clear night and you saw the the sky covered with stars? How about the way you felt maybe the first time you ever went to the Grand Canyon, or if you've ever seen Niagara Falls? Remember how that, like, affected you? That should be the way God affects us continually. That we're just always in such awe and wonder, sort of shaken to our core by our God. Because if the things that he's created can create that effect in us, then shouldn't the one who created them all also produce An even greater effect in us and that's really what worship is all about and and why in our worship we've got to continually come back and and remind ourselves to just let's pause and be in awe and wonder of our God and let's allow the person and presence of God to affect us to our core may we as a church continue to strive to do that so that we can remain a church that is alive. Father, we thank you tonight for this record in your word of the church at Antioch, a church that was very much on fire and awake and alive in you. God, may that always be our desire to be part of a church that's alive, not dying, not one who's adopted a maintenance mentality, just holding on, but one who wants to continue to press forward, continue to gain new ground, continue to take new ground, continue to stretch out and spread out in new ways to never be satisfied with where we're at and, and what we've already accomplished, but to always know, God, you have more for us because you have more of you for all of us, and you are more than enough for all of us. God, thank you for our time together tonight. We pray, God, for your great blessing to be upon your people tonight. May they sense your presence with them as they travel home or as they turn off their television sets and, and, and take these last few moments of the day. And God, may all of us, when we lay our heads down on our pillow tonight, just express our thankfulness and our gratitude for your grace and for your goodness, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. God bless. We'll see you next